speak tonight for the dignity of man and the destiny of democracy. May the turbulence of our age yield to the true time of peace, when men and nations shall share a life that honors the dignity of each, the brotherhood of all. I see a world of open borders, open trade, and most importantly, open mind. Hello and welcome to To The Republic, a show dedicated to history, civics, and U.S. institutions. I'm Jake, and I'm no longer alone on this yeah, episode. Matt is back. Woo. Matt, how have you been? I've been good, good. Um, just social distancing, like us all surviving the heat wave, um, the heat apocalypse that was upon us this week. Gosh, did you walk around with your mask on? No, not no. <laughs> I didn't go out anywhere. I was in my house. Yeah, it was hot out there. It's too hot to be anywhere. Yeah, so we're recording the, for context. We're recording yeah. this on Tuesday, and yeah. this will air Thursday uh, of the first, basically the first, first of July. July yeah. So the we you got everybody living in the portland metro area experienced uh essentially the furnace yeah uh that dropped on our area yeah in my life i i never thought i would experience that kind of heat in this in this area yeah. i think the closest that we ever got might have been when i was in like middle school it was like 108 mm-hmm. but to be like one th- almost pushing 115 i think we hit 115 yeah here we did it was it was uh, uh, unfortunate for it was, everyone. It was it was terrible, and I I hope everybody made it through okay. Yeah, because uh, that was that was quite the experience. It's nuts when ninety feels cool. Yeah, that's a horrible <laughs> that's a horrible reality to live in. Yeah, and uh, somehow people still think global uh, global warming and climate change isn't a thing, but yeah. that is not the topic of this not this today. month's episode. We are going to talk about something much more fun: the Senate filibuster. Yeah, uh, <laughs> amongst other things. So uh, yeah, I want to just. I'm so glad you're back because let me tell you one thing, doing this by myself is not fun. <laughs> uh, it is a lot of talking and honestly, no, none of our listeners like listening to me only for an entire hour. That's a lot of Jake droning. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you're back. And so yeah, we're going to talk a bit about uh, basically asking the question, is our system democratic? And that's kind of I don't know I, I feel it's like I'm open ended I feel like I'm being kind of Tucker Carlson right there right <laughs> it, it just with that with that kind of high pitched question mark at the end uh, but we're going to examine the Senate filibuster equal representation in the Senate and then also the Electoral College and talking about what were the ideas behind some of these things because one equal representation and the electoral college were both things that have been in our history for a long time yeah. the only one of these three things that is actually enshrined in the constitution is the yeah. two one state two senators yeah. uh equal representation as part of the virginia compromise the electoral college came shortly mm-hmm. after the, the the ratification of the constitution and the senate filibuster as we'll talk uh kind of has formed itself over time it started with aaron burr in 1806 mm-hmm. uh kind of just doing some housekeeping on senate rules and it's manifested into this tool that gets talked about every almost everywhere every day on the hill mm-hmm. so uh whether it should be gone or not um so that's going to be kind of our our, uh, our topic of conversation for today and uh you know, with that said, let's get into our topic. So like I said, we we're going to talk about a few of the institutional mechanisms that give minority part the minority party minority by mean what I mean by minority is not the my the, the party that's not currently in power, but the minority party in terms of votes received. Mm-hmm. The Republican Party for a long time has been the party that receives far less votes mm-hmm. than the Democrats. Uh, they haven't won a 
an actual, um, they haven't, there's been one time I think since Reagan or since Bush senior that the Republicans have won more votes in a presidential election than their democratic challengers yet they can, they've won multiple presidencies. Yeah. So, uh, there's these institutionalized mechanisms that help promote, um, minority, the minority party in terms of having agency within the system, which is very unique for a, a, any sort of democracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, we, you can look at a lot of the uh, European parliaments and presidential systems, and it, it's very vastly different. And I'm not saying we're not, I'm not going to weigh a value judgment here. They are, it, it is what it is, but we want to look at it and kind of ask this question is, it, is this democratic? Mm-hmm. And if not, how can we make it so? So I want to kick it off to you. And I know uh, with the Electoral College, everything that we know about it. Yeah. Um, what are what are your thoughts? So I think when we look at the Electoral College, again, we look into that topic of proportional representation. And I think the Electoral College by its design is more, it's trying to be a fairer system to more rural areas. Mm-hmm. But that also can be very disproportional to rural areas by giving sometimes states that shouldn't have as big of sways, more sways in our elections. A lot of things we always hear about are swing states. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, California is, I believe, the most popular state in the union. It is, Um, yes. I always get that over New York. But yeah, um, it's definitely um, a a major power in politics. Mm -hmm. Typically, it's a blue state. Um, I think Reagan Reagan was the last last Republican to win California. Um, but it has an unbelievable amount of electoral votes. Was it 55? 55. 55, yeah. yeah. Um, and then there's states like Vermont, which I believe have like two. Three. Three? Yeah. So, a state cannot have less than three. Oh, yeah. So you can have less than three. Yeah. Because how they, uh, just for just for context, how uh, states are assigned electoral points mm-hmm. is the number of congressional representation that they have, both in the Senate and in the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. So Washington having 11 mm-hmm. has nine representatives and two senators. Yeah. So they have 11 electoral okay. points. Um, with that in mind, we hear a lot about states like Ohio, Florida, um, lately Wisconsin, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, states that sometimes lean more, we call them purple states. Yeah. Um, but there's also a question that maybe these specific swing states have way more of a voice than maybe they should. Mm-hmm. Um, because, for example, Minnesota and Wisconsin were key in Biden winning the election, um, whereas Trump had won previously. Um, yeah. Uh, by very narrow margins, but a lot of these states are winner takes all. Mm-hmm. Not all, but but a majority of them are. There's um, uh, two states that split their yeah. electoral votes yeah. based on how you win the congressional districts. Yeah, and I don't believe either of them are Minnesota or Wisconsin. If I'm uh, no, it's New Hampshire and Nebraska. Yeah. And typically, those aren't the swing states. Um, uh, no, nobody's really well. New Hampshire is a swing. New New Hampshire has been in play in electoral math yeah a bit nebraska not at all really yeah and so when we're looking at um just the the base value of how democratic is it you could look at it from a more macro view of just the states mm-hmm. and say should three or four states determine the outcome of an election um because some of you we all remember the al gore bush election in florida where mm-hmm. um uh, gore basically lost the election but won the popular vote because the Electoral College in Florida boosted Bush. And I mean, there were a few more states, but it, he got a big boost from Florida. It really came down to Florida. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, that gave Bush the election. Mm-hmm. And then you wonder, well, how can someone who 
loses the popular vote win the election it, mm-hmm. it's kind of a it seems like an oxymoron um at face but, value it does yeah. yes but yeah but that's also kind of a, I, I you can see there's a kind of a counterweight argument of well it gives smaller voices the minorities you know um the minority voices mm-hmm. in rural areas or um, underrepresented areas more of a chance than simply being dominated by the the populace mm-hmm. the, the 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 masses of yeah. cities mainly mm-hmm. um and and but that does seem in a way to be stifling at least propor- at least democracy on a populist basis mm-hmm. um so that's something to look into right now i know there's been a lot of discussion um in the house and and in the senate um and a lot of voices just nationwide from you know uh, celebrities and talk show hosts about getting rid of the electoral college would that make the system more democratic um and I, I, that's something i'd like to ask you do you think by its definition the electoral college is an undemocratic institution in our country when it comes to elections and democracy it's a good question and uh, i think you have to look at so democracy we're obviously we're we're the united states is a democracy yeah but democracy i think is like is the umbrella in which all of democracies fall under mm-hmm. it's a broad term and it's kind of it, and basically it, if it's a government uh, of the people for the people by the people it's kind of like the baseline democracy is the baseline and that's going to change based on the the morals values expectations uh, of the culture and society in which uh, the governments are being formed. Yeah. That's why you have a lot of different democracies in the world and a lot of different styles in which those uh, democratic governments are constructed. Mm-hmm. And the United States um, has a has a very um, ha- has a very weird relationship, I think, with federalism. Mm-hmm. And how do you how do you go about making sure that such a large swath of land with so many diverse cultures mm-hmm. is is represented in a presidential system in which the the chief exe- the executive branch and the legislative branch are co-equals mm-hmm. and are elected under separate elections mm-hmm. whereas a parliamentary system you don't vote on the executive the executive is elected amongst the peers of the party that is in the majority mm-hmm. So the presidential system being tied, being separate, how do you maintain this I, this ethos of making sure that underrepresented um, ideas, policy preferences, values are represented and in the government when... It, and it, it seems that it is undemocratic at face value. You have this. You have the chief executive, which is we see as the most powerful position in the land, and mm-hmm. in a way, it is, mm-hmm. especially now with the preeminence of the executive branch in modern times. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that protection of those minority preferences uh, at face value, obviously, like I just said, it does seem undemocratic. But I think when you dig a little bit deeper, you actually see that it, it might be protecting that protecting of those voices in a, in a, in a way is actually uh, democratic in spirit. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, humans are fallible. Yeah. And I think the electoral college has been used um, and manipulated in a way, especially through gerrymandering, yeah. to keep 
a particular party in power in really unfair ways. Yeah. And to be fair, um, when it comes to these things, it's not simply one party or one group manipulating the 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 prerequisites for the Electoral College to be abused. Mm-hmm. Um, blue and red both do it. Um, it's it's not a this isn't simply a partisan issue throughout history yes both yeah. parties have been yeah. um have been guilty of it yeah. for sure and um it does affect outcomes um there's also a, a, a good question of for example california people don't realize that there's a sizable republican base in california mm-hmm. but they're just absolutely swamped by a, a typically more democrat liberal you know coast um yep. i mean the big cities are la san diego sacramento oakland mm-hmm. um and and that gets to one of the um so really quick before we take a break i, I want to talk about i think something you touched on there is the size and scope of states this yeah. is this was an argument that was brought up to me when i was having this debate with somebody um and they said well the the size of some of these states mm-hmm. and the diverse populations within those states and electoral college being winner take all. And you brought that up mm-hmm. when you were talking earlier is that these, these are winner take all states. So whether you ha- all you have to do is win by one vote mm-hmm. over your opponent and you get all of that state's electoral yeah. votes, your state's blue, your state's red. In some yeah. of those states, like you said, have such diverse population within them. You yeah. talk about the diversity of, uh, of cultures and ideas and preferences and values across the nation as a whole. Mm-hmm. Even with even within each state, you've got a lot of that. Yeah, Washington's a great example. So maybe the answer is to figure out a way in which each you can keep the idea of the electoral college alive, but you change it in a way that awards points to winners of congressional districts, yeah. right? Because think about it like this. So Nebraska and New Hampshire, I think, have touched on something. Yeah. How Nebraska and New Hampshire work is that you have the uh, you have two out at large electoral points mm-hmm. um they're actually worth four actually both those states are worth four so you have two at large electoral points and then actually nebraska's five sorry i'm i'm going to get there so nebraska you you at large if you win the state so mm-hmm. you win the popular vote in the state you by however the margin is you get the two allotted um electoral votes that are there because of the senators mm-hmm. And then the winner of each congressional district then gets the uh, gets the, the the electoral point assigned to that district. Mm-hmm. So if you win the Nebraska third district, you get a you get an electoral point. If you win the Nebraska second, and so on. Uh-huh. So you could have like you know Trump won four of the five electoral points of Nebraska. He won the state at large, and he won two of the three congressional districts. Mm-hmm. But Biden pulled the the more liberal third. So the people in that third district, which is like the Lincoln area, the mm-hmm. urban area in in, uh, in Nebraska, feels like they actually affected the election. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that. I feel like that in a way. I think that is a avenue in which we could explore to help um, the the apathy. I think one of the issues we talk, uh, I, I think, gets brought up a lot too, is that if you're a red voter in Washington, you're a red voter in California. What's the mm-hmm. point of even showing up and voting for president? Yeah, and, and I think that's that is a huge thing is voter apathy because, and I think that also pushes people to the extremes. Um, I think Texas is a good example of a state that's kind of purplish, mm-hmm. um, or becoming more purplish. Um, and but from again, Texas is a winner take all state. Um, what if if it goes blue one year, 
a vast majority of the Texas, or at least a vast vast portion of the population in Texas feels like they weren't represented. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's a big thing that we, as a nation, were one of our founding, you know, stories is a whole thing about, you know, no taxation without representation. Well, what about just our vote and our voice? Yeah. Um, let alone for taxes, just in general, when we're not being represented because if by 1%, we lose an election electoral or or anything Mm -hmm. it's a winner take all and so that seems inherently undemocratic because it gets rid of the red or blue voices in whichever state you're in yeah no i I think uh that's a that's a phenomenal point and i think we're going to take a break on that and to get on the other side i think we're going to tackle uh the this the equal representation uh in the senate we'll we'll get into that uh so thank you for listening to to the republic i'm jake and i'm matt we'll be right back A big welcome and many thanks to KXRW's newest gold sponsor, Fusion CBD. Fusion CBD is a supplier of full-spectrum CBD. They offer CBD products to help you stay calm, balanced, and focused. All Fusion CBD products are derived from the whole plant that include gummies, tinctures, topicals, teas, mints, award-winning smokable flour, and pet products. Fusion CBD hemp is grown locally, and products range from 500 to 3,000 milligrams of total cannabinoids. To order products, visit FusionCBD.com or stop by the store on Highway 99 in Vancouver. Many thanks to our sponsor and friends at Say Chow Columbia River Tap Room and Eatery. Chef Peter has been cooking for over 27 years in the Vancouver area. Say Chow Greater Vancouver's premier catering company. Conveniently located at 2501 Southeast Columbia Way in Vancouver. Dine in or take out for lunch Monday through Friday, 11 to 2 p.m. Hours will change and live local music will return once again as COVID phases allow. More information available at say-chow.com, that's S-A-Y-C-I-A-O.com, or directly at 360-210-5522. Welcome back to To The Republic. I'm Jake. And I'm Matt. In our last segment, we talked about the Electoral College and kind of talked about it in the context of, is it democratic or is it anti-democratic? And what ways in which can it be amended to be more democratic if it is in fact anti-democratic. And we talked about some of the historical context around the Electoral College. And I think we're going to continue this debate with something else that is a mechanism of giving minority power to uh, to parties that are, that are not in the majority. And that is with equal representation in the U.S. Senate. First off, where does equal representation come from and what does it mean? Yeah. Um, so I, I know we mentioned earlier the um, Virginia Compromise. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of the, the big uh, catalyst to it in the United States. Um, as you mentioned, um, it's kind of the whole debate between big states wanting to make sure that they were, you know, properly represented. But also minorities, states, smaller states, um, concerns of just being, you know, uh, uh, ran out of town every election because they couldn't compete. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I know you mentioned also earlier how the U.S., for example, has a, a bicameral um, uh, legislature. Legislature, mm-hmm. yeah, legislature. Um, so we have a House and a Senate. Yep. Um, and um, or the upper and lower, I think, or is that more? I guess upper and lower is really is. Well, they're they're the they're, they're equal, yeah. but th- their makeup is different. different yeah. yeah. Um, 
and then there's a there's a bit of difference in how like so bills have to originate in the house yeah. and then they have to pass but they have to pass both chambers and uh, there's a lot of different rules with all of that but yeah. well that's not what we're talking yeah. we're not talking oh, about yeah. the senate we're gonna go but yeah. no I mean it's all good context though yeah so. but but really the big thing is that um, uh, the senate was for the mainly the protection of the the smaller state. every every state gets two mm-hmm. um, so it doesn't matter if you have a population of. 300 million or 100,000. Every state gets two senators. Yeah. Um, the House is a more proportional represent, re- representation um, with amongst the states. So bigger populations get more representatives than smaller populations. Mm-hmm. So, for example, California has, you know, how many representatives do they have now? Uh, uh, they would be 53, 53. total. Yeah, yeah 53. Um, and then um, smaller states like, um, I don't know, Rhode Island have, I think, three? Rhode Island would have um, yes one uh, only one representative one, one representative, representative two senators yeah so yeah, yeah so yeah um, sorry to be specific we were saying fifty three like House of Representatives mm-hmm. member, members Rhode Island have two yeah um, or sorry one mm-hmm. two senators um, and then uh, so Rhode Island wouldn't have the same pull in the House as obviously California sure um, so it's much more proportional. Um, so there's that kind of equal balance that mm-hmm. that came out of the Virginia Compromise which is you know, the whole basis for our system. Yeah. In a, in an era where, you know, think about the historical context of the time, the states were much more, the idea of being part of a state and being the state of being your identity, I think was a lot different than it is today. Right. Yeah. Because they're come you're you got these colonists who are coming out of one, the American revolution mm-hmm. where being a New Yorker, you were a New Yorker first before Not you were an American. American. Yeah. Um, and then under the Articles of Confederation, which put the states in a supremacy position over the federal government. Yeah. And it was a more of a con- that confederation of states. So you were very much a citizen of New York before you were an American. And then you got this constitution that flips that a bit. But you're still, you, you, were, you grew up, you were socialized into that system where you see yourself as a member of the state. So your, your thought of, well, my state needs to have more representation made sense for the like I think made sense for the time and what um and what the the thoughts and and fears were of uh of of government yeah. right if you were someone living in Rhode Island at that time yeah. now it it seems a bit like well yeah you're from Rhode Island but you're like you're an American right yeah. first so it's I think it's just a very different way of uh of it's just me, me kind of spitballing but just I think it's just a little bit different way of, of kind of trying to look at what was uh the ideas behind uh this this weird um, kind of differences in the two different houses of our Congress. Um, so I kind of want to, I want to read something here that I came across in my research on what are the different ways in which the equal representation, like, why is it, um, you know, is it basically following, I guess, along this line of what we've been talking about in this episode is, is it democratic? Yeah. And, when you think about someone in Verm- in uh, Wyoming, for mm-hmm. example, um, this article here, the, the path to giving California 12 senators and Vermont just one. It was an article in the, land- in the Atlantic written by Eric uh, W. Otis. And it, he brings up some good points. I don't agree with everything, but I mean, you're, but anyway, he does point out that the situation with the Senate is becoming increasingly untenable. Mm-hmm. And someone in Wyoming 
has 60 their voting power because of having two senators and in, in their population doesn't even actually warrant having one representative mm-hmm. because they have such a small population in terms of the congressional districts mm-hmm. uh in other states like they don't even have enough population to warrant one congressional district in wyoming yeah that's how sparsely populated that state is so they the, the average voter today in 2020 and in, in 2020 had 67 is 67 times more weighted than someone in California. Yeah. That doesn't seem particularly fair. It doesn't seem particularly democratic. No, it doesn't. And so what on earth can be done? Because the electoral college isn't the electoral college isn't in the constitution. Yeah. It can be changed with 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 the passing of a bill. Yeah. Um the Senate, equal, the equal representation of the Senate is enshrined in Article, and yeah. is enshrined that in Article Five, it specifically mm-hmm. states that one state, two senators. Yeah. So without an amendment process, it's virtually impossible. It's virtually impossible because even then it says shall because even the wording of Article Five talks about the suffered the equal suffrage of states, the equal representation of states, as being something that just it's like it is cannot be changed. The wording of that is very clear in the, in the uh, constitution. And, but this article makes a case for it saying that through the voting rights acts and um, through the voting rights acts, you actually can make an argument that it can be, and we don't need to really get into that, but I just wanted to get, I guess, get your thoughts on, on equal representation and like, what are it's like, what are its pitfalls? Like how would forgetting about the constitutionality of it, how would you like to see it maybe changed? Well, I think one of the biggest pitfalls is kind of something we did see with the electoral colleges. If you had proportional representatives within the Senate. So mm-hmm. again, hypothetical example California gets 12 Vermont gets one. Mm-hmm. You have these states that would essentially the biggest states would run the show in Congress. Wyoming would never have a chance um, if they, if it was truly proportional mm-hmm. um, uh, to, to get their voice truly heard. I mean, you could argue that could make coalitions with other, you know, red or blue states, depending on what side sure. they were. Yeah. But even then, like, are you telling me that a coalition of, you know, southern states could compete against the powerhouses of California, New York, Pennsylvania, Washington, you know, these big blue states, I find it unlikely. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it, it, it kind of passes the buck. Sure. Um, it replaces the electoral college with a kind of pseudo electoral college in a way. But for the Senate. But for the Senate yeah. and for that, because it still would be, again, more of a winner's take all kind of mm-hmm. deal. Sure. Um, and I'm sure, again, it depends on how those senators are split up within each state so that if all 12 are in like blue counties, it's going to mean nothing for the red districts in their state i'm sure there Mm -hmm. has to be some type of way to make it so that it's still more proportional within the state itself for how the senators are split up yeah so um i think you you touched perfectly into the part i want of this article i want to talk about and that's his framework Mm -hmm. for reworking the senate and i wanted to get your thoughts on it so he uh he said one of the important things about equal representation that is that needs to be kept is this is this real idea of federalism Mm -hmm. and that is that the federal government um does preside over the states Mm -hmm. so having a true um proportional representation making basically a redundant redundancy if you if you did away with uh with completely did away with equal representation in the senate there'd be no point of even having a senate you might as well just abolish it and have a one 
House legislature. Mm-hmm. Um, so what he argues is that each state only gets one. Every state gets one particular, every state gets one senator. And then from there, you, you use the rules of 100. Uh-huh. So like you stay, you stay, and then based on, so you have, a, you start with 100 pieces and each state with this author's argument is that each state gets a senator based on their proportion of that population up to 100. Mm -hmm. So if you have 20% of the, if you get, if you have 2% of the population Mm -hmm. of the United States, you get two senators and so forth. And how we ended up working that out is that there are a lot of states that end up only getting one, um, while other states like California, based on their population, they ended up getting 12. Mm-hmm. And so what that basically does is it, it helps give more senators to states where there is a very diverse population. We talked about this in the Electoral College, Electoral College segment, last segment, that there are so many different, like think about, like we talk about California, right? Mm-hmm. There are so many, there's only two senators for that state and they're generally only blue because they're, they're at large seats for the entire state. You add six to that, maybe that does open up the door for having some Republican senators coming out of California mm-hmm. um, and some blue. So maybe you have better representation of the population as a whole than you would with only two Senate, two Senate seats. Yeah. Theoretically, that could, theoretically you could see that happening. Yeah. And it could also pave the way for coalitions. Like you see more European models, mm-hmm. uh, more sure. red states have to kind of band together or maybe even more moderates band together within blue and red yeah um it's it's definitely an interesting it's definitely an interesting theory Mm -hmm. um how likely that could ever be put into practice based on the system we have is kind of difficult to say again amendments are very difficult to pass Mm -hmm. um as we are well aware um but it's definitely something that i think wouldn't you could make the argument that it would bolster the strength of the democracy of the institutions that we have because they would be more proportionally representative to its constituents. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what people are starting to feel, I, you mentioned this off air, but there's a lot of apathy towards the process because they don't feel like their voice is being heard. Sure. Again, um, like you mentioned earlier, people in you know Yakima, do they feel like they're represented by the, the city um, or by the state of Washington because it's mainly dominated by Seattle? I mean, mm-hmm. King County is... King County runs Washington. Like, let's be honest. Yep. Like, the western part of the state runs most affairs. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think they really feel like there's a real good reason to vote? No. It, it, if anything, it weakens the the democratic norms we have of going out to vote. Mm-hmm. Because, like, my vote doesn't matter. Sure. You could also see the same thing in the opposite argument, though, of saying that, well, if you live in a very blue state and you're a Democrat... You don't really have to vote because people are going to vote for you. Mm-hmm. Um, if there was more more at stake um, when it comes to proportional representation, where your vote would make more of a difference. If, if there was a better divide of the senators and, and, and how they're divided, that may make more of a cause for people to vote. Sure. I don't know um, if that would be entirely the case. I'm, I don't, if you compare it to more European models, I'm not convinced that it is. Um, you could look at, for example, France um, had pretty historically low turnouts recently for some of their elections. Mm-hmm. Not in all areas, but in 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 a lot of areas, in a lot of provinces and and and, and states around the republic, um, it was pretty low. Um, but at least people, I think, have more of a proportional choice. At least, again, France is a little bit different than some proportional democracies like the UK or Sweden or or, or other um, or Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
I think looking at the American model specifically, you just don't have that option. You don't have an option to vote for, you know, I guess more than two options. You you get Democrat, Republican. Mm-hmm. There is no viable third party in America. And there's no way to have that person be represented in our system, which mm-hmm. may be more viable in a system where we split up the senators based on the area. You could see a viable green candidate or a libertarian or, or you know, any party. But I just don't find it in the system we have now and the confines of it. It's very much your red or blue and it's winner take all. Mm-hmm. And to me, that just seems inherently undemocratic. Yeah. It's an easy system to get. It's a simple system. It's, it is simple. And there is something to say about simplicity in elections. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've, follow, if you've followed the uh, New York mayoral race at all in, a their, att- bit. in their attempt to use, um, they, to use ranked choice yeah, voting. Choice, yeah. And I am a proponent of ranked choice, mm-hmm. but it is very convoluted. It is. And it takes a very wonky political person like myself to get excited about it and to even mm-hmm. try to go about trying to understand it. Yeah. And think about our last election. If there had to be multiple rounds of ranked choice voting, it get messy. It would get very messy. Mm-hmm. And then how those votes are alloc- how the losers' votes are then allocated. Right? There's there's a lot to be worked out there. So that major the majority majoritarian system. You're right. Is creates for this very polarized red versus blue system and. It's unfortunate that minority parties, which I think could potentially represent individuals in areas better. Mm-hmm. That's why the I mean, that's why the Scottish Nationalist yeah. Party has seats in British Parliament. Yeah. And a lot of and then uh, the, yeah, the SNP or uh, some of the other minority parties um, do have seats in Parliament in Britain, uh, in England. So you would like I think it would be nice to see that in the United States. But it, it is it's. It's diff. It is difficult, and yeah. there is something to be said. said about simplicity. Yeah. Even though it has, even though it has trade offs, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Yeah. Um, but back to the equal representation, I think that there is something to be said on a on a uh, on a on a racial component. And I and I think that when you have states like Wyoming, and you're talking about the ability, because I'm thinking about the passage uh, or the the failing to pass voter. Um, voting voter rights legislation mm-hmm. and trying to make it easier for people um, who are historically disenfranchised to be able to vote mm-hmm. and the not failing in the Senate, I think was a failure of, it was a failure for America mm-hmm. that, 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 that legislation didn't pass. Yeah. And that didn't pass because of the equal representation and the roadblocks in the Senate. Yeah. You have States like Wyoming that are 86% white. Mm-hmm. Are putting f- putting out two senators mm-hmm. that are not that basically, if you look at the makeup of the Senate, is enough to block stuff like that. Yeah, they don't even have the population to warrant those sen- that rep- that kind of representation, and they're putting forth people that are limiting the rep the voices to be heard in other states, yeah, like Georgia. In perfect example, right? Mm-hmm. A states that have where whites are barely the majority mm-hmm. or aren't the majority yeah are still are have high really high populations of people of color mm-hmm. and minor and my other minority populations mm-hmm. and their voice their voices are being railroaded mm-hmm. 
because of this proportional representation yeah. in the Senate. Yeah. And I think when you look at the wording of Article 5, there is this art, I think this author rightfully points it out, that one of the th- one of the key words in Article 5 is that the, the voters, um, the people's right to vote shall not be abridged. Mm-hmm. Close quote. It's not exact. I'm trying to paraphrase. But basically what the definition of abridged is is limited in it being limited in any way. And I think when you talk about the grand scope of things, this equal representation and how unproportionate it is, Mm -hmm. is limiting and cheapening certain people's votes. Absolutely. And I think that there should be normative language, but I do think that in the, in the, much more black and white, I think, than the electoral colleges. I think this equal representation issue in the Senate needs to be, I think, for democracy's sake, needs to be addressed in some way. Yeah. So that's just my kind of, that's my take on it. So um, I think we're kind of up against a break. So I think we'll, we'll leave it there. Uh, I think we made some really good points, though. And I hope that this helped uh, you guys kind of understand this idea of equal representation and its pitfalls and in some of its, uh, and, you know, it does have... It is rooted in in history of having a purpose, but maybe that purpose is has out is is outlasted its welcome. Up for you to decide, but we're just we're just having the debate. So when we come back, I think we're going to talk about the Senate filibuster, and we'll wrap up the episode. So you've been listening to the Republic. I'm Jake. And I'm Matt. We'll be right back. Community radio like this is brought to you by the generous support by our founding sponsors at ADCO Commercial Printing and Graphics. Clark County's local print shop since 1993, ADCO features stationery, posters, flyers, tickets, business cards, stickers, catalogs, and much more. Print on anything and mail anywhere. Learn more at adco1.com. That's A-D-C-O, the number one, dot com. Baseball is back. The Richfield Raptors 2021 season starts June 2nd at the Richfield Outdoor Recreation Complex in Richfield, Washington. The Raptors are Southwest Washington's exceptional West Coast League baseball team. Come on out for some affordable, family-friendly entertainment and enjoy the sights and sounds of hometown team baseball at its best. Head to RidgefieldRaptors.com for schedule and ticket information. Welcome back to To the Republic. I'm Jake. And I'm Matt. In our last segment, we talked about the uh, equal representation in the Senate and whether that is democratic or it's anti-democratic in nature and how shifting politics and population density um, is really playing into a lot of underrepresentation uh, for people of color and overrepresenting uh, populate like states that have primarily white populations. Um, but for now, I think we're going to move on to talking about the Senate filibuster. Mm-hmm. Matt, what is the Senate filibuster? Well, the filibuster is not the sequel to Blockbusters, mm. unfortunately. That's unfortunate. Um, I miss I miss video stores. <laughs> um, so the filibuster is basically, in layman's terms, in order to get any bill passed beyond just like budgetary, mm-hmm. you need a 60-vote threshold to pass a bill in Congress. Okay. If you do not have that... It's not ideal. Yeah. Basically, nothing gets done. Mm-hmm. Um, so there have been talks in the media, in the world, in space, of ending the filibuster. Yes. Um, so that if you have a simple majority, so 51 votes, mm-hmm. you can pass anything. Yeah. Budgetary, military, anything. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I know you mentioned off air 
one key point that I think is a one we should bring up is the it will make things pass mm-hmm. more. Yes. Things will pass. Yeah. The problem is it may not be things you like mm-hmm. um, from any party. If the liberals have a or the Democrats have a simple 51 seat majority, they can pass anything without Republican input. If the Republicans hold the seats, they can pass anything without the input of Democratic colleagues. So mm-hmm. bipartisanship is essentially gone. There's no need for bipartisanship. You just need a majority. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the only way this could get kind of weird is if there wasn't a majority for some reason, which I don't like. I don't see that happening. I mean, like for example. It's a two-party system. Someone's going to have the majority. But say you, you know Bernie Sanders is still an independent, <laughs> and I, there there are ways if yeah. if somehow a third party, which with a majoritarian system and first past the post voting, it's, it's very unlikely it's that there's impossible. a third a third party has it's any sort of seats on know. paper possible, but virtually it's. But if there's impossible. a 50-50 split, then the vice president, yeah, um, then is the deciding vote, yeah. and that could again depending on who what what color has the mm-hmm. office so red or blue affects yeah but which way it goes but devil's advocate that's the assumption yeah that all party members are going to vote in lockstep and as we've and, not, and as we have seen with a man named joe manchin or kirsten cinema from arizona uh that that isn't always always the case, the case. Yeah. yeah and that and that's where things also get messy mm-hmm. um the only thing is i know we mentioned this off air too is is this simply removing a weapon to add a new weapon? Um, in my eyes, mm-hmm. you remove the weapon of the filibuster with the majority um, having a sixty seat majority to vote to pass a bill, in order to have basically when you're in power, you call the shots. It's I mean yeah, it would definitely probably break up the gridlock, but I mean is. Is your voice heard? So if a, if there's a blue majority, red majority, mm-hmm. is your voice heard if you're the minority party? Because basically, as long as the people are in line, the party's in line, Democrat or Republican. Again, let's just say for right now, let's just say the Democrats had, they have their 51 seat or they have uh, 51 seats. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't need the vice president. They have 51 seats right now, and they're in control. Sure. Why would they listen to the Republicans? They have no incentive to. No. Um, the reason that the filibuster at least gives an incentive is that there can be some level of bipartisanship so that in the future there may be more negotiation so that they can get 60 seats or 60 votes for a particular legislation. It might make more bipartisanship, mm-hmm. but it slows things down. Um, so it's it's a hard thing to argue for or against because, frankly, it's unknown. Mm-hmm. The only thing is I would caution is we get rid of the filibuster, let's just say in this hypothetical America we live sure. in, and – Let's just say the Democrats lose in the midterm elections mm-hmm. and the Republicans take over. Which is likely. Which is likely. What is the recourse for the Republicans to be bipartisan with the Democrats? There is none. No. I mean, it's going to be t- it'll be tit for tat politics. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, which I don't think will do the nation necessarily good in the long run, but it may see that people are like well congress is passing things this is what they're supposed to do and maybe that's a fair argument they're supposed to pass bills yeah i mean but <laughs> i be... think it's, yeah analy- well, the numbers back that up i think congress has a 12 percent approval rating yeah. nationally and i'm surprised they even have 12 percent. yeah it's not ideal um but just because they can pass more bills one doesn't mean that they're passing good bills 
It True. simply means they're passing bills. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, we're, we're seeing it right now with the um, uh, infrastructure bill. Mm-hmm. Um, though, I mean, theoretically, it could be passed with budget reconciliation. They don't really have to. I mean, because again, it's a budgetary yeah, bill. Yeah, but there's a limitation on how many times you can use budget reconciliation yeah. in the Senate rules. Yeah, and it's kind I'm of like, a little confused on... They might have to wait until October yeah, until I they can. Yeah, I believe you're right because it has it's a, it's a certain fiscal year that they can yeah. use um, certain types of budget reconciliation. Yeah. I don't think they can do it until October. Yeah, so I, I just meant in theory they. Yeah, I just maybe we should clarify that in theory they could have done it on the um, infrastructure bill, the most recent one that's yeah. being. Yeah, if they out, hadn't yeah. Used, mm-hmm. if they hadn't used it previously. Yeah, but they used it previously for the um, the Save America yeah. Plan. Act. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, unfortunately. Now it leads into the world of bipartisanship, which is sad to say that it's unfortunate. We should always strive for bipartisanship. But in practice, it's not happening. No. I mean, I think uh, in a perfect world, right, I think so much of our Constitution is written in normative language. And so much of the early documents that were written about the Constitution and how politics should be done in a very courtly manner. And I think that so much of it is like that the founders never really envisioned that people would act in such a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, you are a white landowning male of stature. You, you do things in a certain way. Mm -hmm. It's, I, I'm I'm saying that in jest, but it's so much of it's written in normative language, right? So the, until someone just decides, I don't have to do it like that. Like what's the, and Trump was famous for this. Like, yeah. what do you mean? It's just, there's not an actual law. I can just do it if I just decide to do it. Mm-hmm. And so much of how the gov- the Senate governs itself and the Senate operates is off of precedence, just the way things have been done. The Constitution is a, not a very wordy document. It's actually yeah. pretty short. Yeah. And considering how much it sets up, mm-hmm. which means that a lot of the, the day-to-day operation stuff is stuff that is codified over time. Yeah. And... So my point about the filibuster is, is that in a perfect world, you've got a hundred people sitting in this in the in the Senate chamber who are altruistic and they want to do what's best for the country first. Yes, they have their differences and they have allegiances to their party, but they they're they're looking to try to come to bipartisan agreements mm-hmm. and compromise is not seen as weakness. Unfortunately, with the polarization of our politics, is that compromise is seen as weakness in a lot of ways. And the people who are being elected to Congress right now are going there on a mandate to not be yeah. cooperative. Yeah. They're being All or they're they're being elected to go and stop the Democrats. So they're going being elected to go and stop the Republicans. Mm-hmm. Not to go to DC to work things out with other elected officials. Yeah. The, the, this very norm of representation, the very underlying idea of a republic, which is the type of democracy that we are is is completely undermined by the political by politicization in the Senate something like the Senate filibuster which in normative thinking makes sense that it, to force uh, bipartisanship to make sure bipartisanship is happening now it's just being used as a weapon by a minority minority party that represents an increasingly fewer amount of people than the pop than this more populated states holding up legislation that is by far and away supported by a a clear majority of americans nationwide mm-hmm. the infrastructure bill is very and is incredibly popular mm-hmm. and yet they can't even get enough votes to pass they can't even get enough votes to pass it on a 51 vote yeah 
majority as it stands right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, it, I like what you were saying is that if we get rid of it now, who's to say what is going to happen? The slippery slope argument, right? Mm-hmm. And as I kind of a more naturally conservative person like myself, I tend to maybe overvalue slippery slope arguments. But I think in this case, when you turn over, you you eliminate this mechanism. In to, in to put in context, it is not a. It is not part of the Constitution, like the equal the equal representation in the Senate is, and it's not as structured as the Electoral College. It mm-hmm. is something that the Senate can basically change its own rules to do. Yeah. Does the Senate going that direction undermine? the very nature of bipartisanship by eliminating the filibuster. Yeah, and and to me the answer goes probably because the again, what is the incentive for bipartisanship? There isn't. Flat out you just need a simple majority. Mm-hmm. And I just the way Congress is operating based on past behavior. Mm-hmm. I don't see a viable reason for there to be bipartisan compromise. Sure. Because no, uh, you can look at, for example, some of the extremes of the ends. AOC, Marjorie Taylor Greene, some of the more boisterous and, and again, more extreme sides of, of both parties. They are very, I, I, I would say AOC probably has had more history of bipartisanship than Marjorie Taylor Greene. Mm-hmm. But if you have people going in there th- with the mindset of no compromise, I'm going to push my bills and my agendas through through party lines, which seems to be what kind of most of Congress is doing. Mm-hmm. There is no reason to compromise. And that changes everything. I mean, you could have a, a, a Democratic president or a Democrat president or Republican president whose legislative branch with a simple majority is basically completely running an opposite agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, and there lacks coherency in policy. Yeah, that could be a huge problem. I think that's a I think that's a really good point um, that you that you brought up there in in how the the legislative branch, the Senate specifically, without the filibuster, interacts with the executive branch. Yeah. And I think the the concern there also would be then is uh, the Senate just becoming a rubber stamp if they share the same party as the presidency. Mm-hmm. They just become a legis- They just become a rubber stamp for the president's agenda, or when... they become a stonewall. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you, um, it is. So I think we've kind of. I think you and I have kind of come in on agreement, and feel free, listeners, to disagree with us. I mean, I'm, f- I'm totally open to the idea of removing the filibuster. I just have concerns about it. So I think just for conversation's sake, to move this thing forward a little bit, let's just say we're not going to remove the filibuster. How can the filibuster then be changed to make it more tenable for today's politics? So when it comes to the efficacy of what would be the best option given the current political climate, I think it's a more fair argument. I could see the on paper why it would make sense to end the filibuster. Sure. Simply because people are voting purely on party lines for the majority of legislation going past through mm-hmm. the Senate. If we had a more proportional system, like we've mentioned, one where, say, the states were, the way senators were broken up in states were different, 
um, so that red and blue were reflected more proportionally. Sure. The filibuster may make more sense. Yeah. Because it keeps things bipartisan. I see I see where you're going with this. I like it. Yeah. I like it. I, I think right now, I don't think keeping the filibuster makes sense purely for a legislative standpoint mm. because it's just causing more gridlock. Okay. Um, again, I'm not saying that that'll be a necessarily wholly good thing. Yeah. Again, you may get some legislation passed with a simple majority that is, I think the technical term is hot garbage. Um, it could cause a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah, definitely the, the, sci- the scientific term. Yeah. yeah. But the, the biggest thing is that we you just don't know. And that can go for either side. Yeah. Um, the Democrats could pass something that's absolutely ludicrous. The Republicans could pass something that's absolutely ludicrous with a simple majority if we get rid of the filibuster. Mm-hmm. But the problem is right now, they could still be passing some things that are pretty ludicrous with bipartisanship or they're passing nothing. They're passing watered down bills that really don't have the reach and scope that they could if they were passed with more gumption. But then again, mm-hmm. again, it's, it's a real back and forth. It is. It, it's a real back and forth of, do we pass higher quality bills with bipartisanship or do we not? Um, I mean, looking at this uh, infrastructure bill, I mean, it's completely watered down from what Joe Biden originally had, had hoped for and, and mm-hmm. for what Democrats had hoped for. Um, but does that mean it's less effective? It's hard to say because it hasn't been implemented. Um, we have some ideas of where it will go, but if we had a simple, you know, a filibuster-free Senate, could we have passed a much more robust infrastructure bill that could be much more far-reaching in scope and depth? You, I think the answer to that specific question is yes, because if you look at the differences between the that would how would the Democrats view as a whole encompassing infrastructure, which is both human and physical infrastructure. And I'm not going to get into that, but yeah. Biden has tried to define it. Um, and the Republicans expect even moderate Republicans like Mitt Romney, very much with their rhetoric about the bill saying physical infrastructure, physical infrastructure, physical infrastructure only, uh, you would have very, very, very different bills yeah. passed. So, I think it just it fall it depends on where you fall on the political spectrum. Yeah. So right. with that particular thing, but there are there's that's the frustrating thing, right? Is that there's things that we know need to be passed. Yeah. And there's things that absolutely like they're incredibly maddening when you hear certain senators giving absolute BS answers for why they didn't vote for something. Mm-hmm. Especially when you know they supported infrastructure when the last president, the president yeah. of their party, was in power, and now are fighting a tooth and nail. Yeah, that is not in the democratic spirit. That is not in the Republicans in the like republic the spirit of republicanism. I'm not talking republicanism in terms yeah. of the party, but a republic that undermines the very when the filibuster became a thing or when the equal representation was being thought of, it was being thought of, like I said, in normative language and norms are out the window. Yeah. This is real politic. This is, this is what can we do to enhance our own party's power? And the filibuster works in a perfect world. And right now it's, it just seems like it is as much as I worry about slippery slopes this filibuster once again is just another mechanism that is being used to really disproportionately benefit 
one particular side, and that is the side that is not even, it is increasingly becoming less of the, even becoming smaller of a minority within the political, uh, within the political world of the United States. Yeah. So that is really, that is really problematic. So we don't really have the answers, but I hope that this conversation, I think, helps kind of propel forward in the listeners' minds um, these three very important institutional processes and mechanisms that are in place that might need to be changed to preserve our republic. Yeah. And I think it's a conversation that we all need to have. So, uh, Matt, thanks again for being on. I really appreciate it. You coming back. Uh, would love to get you on next month. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you guys have been listening to, to the Republic. Uh, this, I am Jake. And I'm Matt. We will be back next month. Big thank you to Craft Cannabis, formerly known as New Vansterdam, for supporting our radio community. Craft Cannabis now has two locations here in Vancouver. Both locations offer online ordering and curbside pickup. The Mill Plain location has an express window that serves as a contactless option to pick up your cannabis products. The newest shop is located on Andreessen Road, off Patton Parkway, next to the Home Depot, across from Costco. Both locations are open daily, 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. More information available at craftcannabis.com. KXRW Vancouver Radio is a volunteer-powered and community-supported 501c3 nonprofit organization. As for so many nonprofits, COVID-19 has understandably thrown a huge wrench in our usual live fundraising event efforts and why your support right now would be so helpful. If you like our purpose-driven informative, local talk, and music programming that gives Vancouver a voice and want to help us make more, please consider becoming a KXRW monthly member today. New KXRW merch is in as a fun perk when you sign up. We have two new cool KXRW t-shirt designs to choose from. Here are the following levels of giving. $15 monthly, receive a t-shirt of your choice. $25 monthly, receive one KXRW t-shirt, mug, and tote bag. $50 a month, receive two KXRW t-shirts, two mugs, and two tote bags, plus four tickets to the next KXRW Backstage Block Party. One-time donations are always welcome as well. Every little bit helps us with our monthly operational costs and expanding equipment needs. After all, an informed community is a healthier community, so let's all be a part of the solution and please become a KXRW monthly member today. Go to www.kxrw.fm and click on our merch page for details. Thank you.